Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, guys, just a a couple more things here. You should have received one of these. This is uh, just the the latest of the announcements. So we're going to have our Christmas Eve service, uh, obviously December 24th. It's at 6.30 p.m. And we're really going to be talking about the um, Jesus as the Prince of Peace. There's a lot of people who don't have peace. We're going to talk about how Jesus being born is the Prince of Peace. Um, So invite your family, invite your friends. We've got the fundamentals of the faith uh, starting January the 12th. So that's going to be Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. This is the beginning of our discipleship uh, nights. It's a 13-week class. And then also, if you, if you are interested in this class or the Galatians class or both, please do sign up in the foyer because um, we need to order workbooks. And we want to make sure that we've got uh, enough workbooks for everybody. The Galatians study is something that is very special. Uh, Dr. Cameron Wold, a, a good friend of mine, um, a mentor, he's going to be teaching the series. He taught it down in Phoenix, and he wants to bring it here to, uh, to River. So he's going to be driving two hours a week to do that. Um, And I said, are you sure you want to do this? Oh, yeah, yeah. And the reason for that, if you don't know, the book of Galatians is a mini Romans. And it's, it's about grace and how we live in this world of grace. This is not about keeping the rules anymore. We're going to learn that today as well. Um, so if you're interested in either one of those classes, please do sign up. We'll get you the workbook. And uh, by the way, that is on a Thursday night. We normally don't do things on Thursday nights here, but he wanted to give those of you who wanted to go through both the fundamentals and the Galatians a time to do that. All right. So if you have any questions, please, please see me after the service. All right. If you would, please open your Bibles now to Mark chapter 15. We are in verses 20 through 32 today. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we got Bibles in the back there by the sound booth for you. Please go ahead and grab one. That's our gift to you. Well, we are continuing our verse-by-verse study in the Gospel of Mark this morning. And really, we are in the middle of what is termed the Passion. The Passion of Jesus Christ. And the Passion marks the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. So let's do a quick review here. Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was then arrested by, well, he was arrested. And then Judas Iscariot was there. He's the one that betrayed him. The Jews, uh, excuse me, Jesus was, was tried by the Jewish leaders three times. And then he was found innocent each time, but he was declared guilty. Jesus was then tried by the Romans, all the secular authorities. He was declared not guilty but he was sentenced to die via crucifixion anyway. And we discussed how Jesus' passion not only deals with the physical brutality that he endured, but also the emotional shame of being mocked and laughed at and spit upon. And then last Sunday, we discussed how and why there is a purpose in Jesus' passion. 
that the passion of Jesus Christ was to save sinners, uh, to save us, to save us from a, a very real place called hell, to save us from uh, God's wrath, to save us for the kingdom of God. Really, what, what he did is he reconciled man back to God. And to do that, it cost him his, his perfect life in exchange for our wretched lives. And then lastly, we discussed how there is purpose in, in our suffering too. God doesn't want you to waste your sour relationships with your kids or your grandkids. God doesn't want you to waste your cancer or your sickness. God doesn't want you to waste any trial in your life. We talked about Romans, Romans 8, 28, no matter how hard life gets, right? That verse is still in the Bible. It's still in God's word. We know that all things work together for good, for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. All means all, especially when we can't see it, especially then. And I pray that those of you who saw God working in, in your lives last week, especially when it came to a God intersection, a, a divine disruption with someone who is lost, doesn't have any hope for tomorrow, that, that God pointed that someone out to you who's hungry and thirsty for the word of God, for the one true living God, and that you recognize that and that you engaged in that conversation, you were able to plant some kind of seed that their broken life can have hope too. Amen. That their life can have purpose too. I don't know about you, but it is so cool how God uses imperfect people like us to spread the gospel. Amen. It's unbelievable. I'm like, God, have you met us? <laughs> you sure? Are you sure? Have you met me? Well, today we're going to study the first three hours of Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, we're going to meet two people here who get saved by this gospel that we keep talking about day by day. Um, we could say that one man had a divine disruption to his life, <laughs> and then the other man, well, we could say that he most certainly had a God intersection, um, one that he was not looking forward to at all, but it did change the last moments of his life, and it certainly changed his eternal life. So who are these two men? What, you know, what do they have to do with the first three hours of Jesus on that cross? And why do you care? Well, let's, let's stand and find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 20. After they had mocked Jesus, they stripped him of the purple robe, and they put his clothes on him. They led him out to crucify him. And then they forced a man coming in from the country. who was just passing by to carry Jesus' cross. He was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. Then they crucified him, and they divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge written against him was, the king of the Jews. They crucified two criminals with him, 
one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads, and they were saying, ah, yeah, you're the one that would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Ha, save yourself, come down from that cross. And in the same, in the same way, the chief priests and the scribes, they were mocking him among themselves, and they were saying, you know, he, he saved others, he, he, he can't save himself. Let the Messiah, let the King of Israel come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him taunted him. Father in heaven, we are going to dive headfirst into the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning. Please do prepare our hearts and our minds. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat, guys. Thank you. So looking at verse 20, they led him out to crucify him. The Romans generally did not delay in executing someone once they've been sentenced to death via crucifixion. The, the text says that they led him out. They let him out. So the, the execution squad that we discussed last week consisted of four soldiers and a centurion who basically would oversee the execution. These men are not merely leading Jesus out of, of Jerusalem to Golgotha, but what they're doing is they're leading him through the busiest roads in Jerusalem. They want the most people to see what's going to happen when you don't bow the knee to Caesar. Obviously, this practice instilled fear into everyone, and then that's the whole point. The actual site of the crucifixion is traditionally associated with Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is where Abraham was commanded to sacrifice his, his son Isaac. However, many, many, many years later on that same hill, God is going to sacrifice his own son. No angel came to stop, stop that as, uh, as he did with Abraham. Verse 21, they forced a man coming in from the country who was, he was just passing by. To carry Jesus' cross, he was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, this is a fascinating verse. So let's spend some time here. Let's break this thing down. Verse 21, they forced a man. So the picture that Mark is communicating, our gospel writer here, is the same picture in which slaves and animals were forced to go to their slaughter. The, the Romans, they had the authority to tell the Jews to do anything they wanted at any time. So verse 21 continues, they forced a man coming in from the country. So this man is not from Israel. He is one of the hundreds of thousands of people that have come to celebrate the Passover. He is a pilgrim who has traveled from his own country. Verse 21 says he was just passing by. It implies that this man, he was just Chosen at random. In other words, this, this passerby, this pilgrim, he has no uh, personal connection with Jesus. Verse 21 continues, they forced a man coming in from the country who was just passing by to carry Jesus' cross. So imagine the scene. 
You've got this man who's coming from his own country to celebrate the Passover. He's on his way into the city of Jerusalem, and he just accidentally runs into this mob of people. Can't you just picture him just trying to stop and get out of the way? And then as the crowd gets closer and closer, he starts to see soldiers yelling at somebody, and they're laughing, and they're pointing. And then he sees this man to be crucified. He sees then that the crowd is also shouting at him. He sees the professional mourners crying and weeping. And then he sees this pitiful looking, just this flogged body. Somewhat resembles a person. And he's moving incredibly slowly. He's carrying the horizontal piece to a Roman cross. And before this man realizes it, he himself is now being ordered by the centurion to help this unrecognizable man carry his cross. Can you imagine what this man was thinking? No, 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 no. You you got the wrong guy. Not me. I I don't, uh uh-uh. You. You, now. Verse 21, Mark tells us his name. He was Simon of Cyrene the father of Alexander and Rufus. So this scenario, it may seem random to the world, but there are no coincidences in the kingdom of God. Mark goes out of his way to give us great personal detail of this man. We know his first name. His name's Simon. Note here that our gospel writer Mark, he's making a point. This is Simon, guys. Simon. Why would he do that? Well, there are four soldiers. We don't, we don't know any of their names. We've got the centurion. We don't know his name. We're going to meet two criminals who are going to be crucified with Jesus. We don't know their names either. So what's going on? Well, Simon, very Jewish name. Lots of people named Simon in, in the scriptures. Um, it would be like us saying, hey, you know Joe, right? You know Joe? Joe who? Well, Mark goes on to say, well, it's Simon. It's Simon of Cyrene. Oh, 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 that Joe. I got you. All right. So who is this man, Simon of Cyrene? Well, he's a Jew. He lived in North Africa in what is now the country of Libya near the capital city of Tripoli. Uh, Libya is a long way from Jerusalem, my friends. It's a three-hour flight. It's a 35-hour drive. The man walked over 1,200 miles to celebrate Passover. Any hikers with me today? (laughs) 1,200 miles? Hmm. Mark's gospel says that Simon just happened to be passing by. Why is that? Well, because hundreds of thousands of pilgrims have traveled from all over to attend the Passover. So the city of Jerusalem is flooded with, uh, when it's flooded with that many people, you could, there's no place to stay inside the, the walls of Jerusalem. So what they would have to do to house all the pilgrims and all the visitors, they built these massive tent cities uh, on the outside of Jerusalem. So on the first day of Passover, when when the the special Passover sacrifice is being offered, many Jews came into the city to watch this event. There's a good chance that Simon was on his way to this event when he was forced to carry Jesus' cross. Now Mark is the only gospel writer here who says that Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Rufus, it's the same name as Reuben. 
Reuben is one of the tribes of Israel. So what's that tell you? What's that tell you about his character, right? The question becomes, why is Mark including this man's name, where he's from, and the name of his two sons? Why all this detail? Well, Mark wrote his gospel from Rome. Mark's original audience was to the Romans. Mark wrote this letter between 50 and 60-ish. Some say 55-ish to 65-ish, somewhere in there. So there's been a lot of ministry going on for the past 20 to 25 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Secondly, we also know that the Apostle Paul wrote the letter uh, of the Romans around the same time frame. And Paul just so happens to mention a man named Rufus in Romans 16, 13. Wow, what a coincidence. Look at this. He says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and also his mother and mine. So this particular Rufus, it could have been Simon's son. And if so, this event of Simon carrying Jesus' cross, uh, Jesus' cross, uh, led to the salvation of, of Simon, his wife, and his two sons. Rufus, with the time uh, of, of this letter in Romans, he's now a leader in the church in Rome, and Rufus's mother is so dear to the Apostle Paul that he calls her his own mother. Wow. What a coincidence. Not only that, but in, in Acts chapter 11, there's a church in Cyrene, and it gets better. That church is sending preachers to Antioch, and then in Acts chapter 13, we read of other prophets and teachers and missionaries, specifically, Luetius from Cyrene. Now, let's just hit the pause button for a second. Is it possible that this happened because this man named Simon from Cyrene just happened to be passing by Jesus during this crucifixion. Everybody go like this. No. There are no coincidences in the kingdom of God. This event was scheduled on God's calendar before the foundation of the world. This is what we call a divine disruption to Simon's life this day. Is your God that big? Is your God that big to use your life here in the Verde Valley to impact someone else for all of eternity? Everybody go like this, right? All you have to do is join him. All we have to do is cooperate with him. You know, I read this text and I wonder, what was it exactly that caused Simon to become a believer? I wonder about the exact moment. Because Simon did witness... Jesus' crucifixion firsthand. None of the disciples, they can say that. They weren't there. This man had a front row seat to the last hours of Jesus' life, whether he liked it or not. Simon saw that Jesus did not act like the other two men beside him who were also crucified. Many, many times those being crucified, they, they often yelled and screamed obscenities and at their executioner, the, the, the people who were walking by. And then sometimes the vulgarities were so bad that the soldiers cut out their tongue just to shut them up. As we know, Jesus did not yell. He did not scream. He didn't curse. He did the very opposite. He prayed for his enemies as he was gasping for breath on that cross. Remember what he said? 
He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They, they have no idea what they're doing right now. Please forgive them. So back to our, our text, verse 21. They forced a man coming in from the country who was just passing by to carry Jesus's cross. So Mark doesn't tell us why Jesus doesn't carry his own cross here. It is easy to guess. He's either too weak uh, or he's too slow from the flogging. Most likely, Jesus has been awake for the past 24 hours at this point. Remember that he was arrested in the middle of the night. He's gone through six trials that made a, a mockery out of justice. He's been mocked and humiliated and flogged and then humiliated and beaten some more. And now he's being asked to carry this horizontal beam of his own cross. It weighs anywhere from 80 to 100 pounds. In the movies, we see Jesus carrying the whole cross. It's not accurate. There's no way a flogged man can, can carry a 300-pound cross on the way to Golgotha. Verse 22, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. So the Aramaic name literally means skull. In Latin, we get calvus, which means calvary. Calvary means scalp. It means bald head. Uh, the name itself refers to the shape of the hill. The name of the hill looked like a, a skull. Verse 23, they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Matthew's gospel says that Jesus tasted it, but he spit it right back out. Jesus rejected anything that would cloud his mind or deaden the pain of his suffering. Basically, Jesus did the very opposite of what we would do, right? Once he tasted, once he tasted that, he, he knew it was a narcotic, and, and it, what it was, it's just a doped version of wine. It's important to note here, this is not an act of kindness from the Roman soldiers, it was provided to make their job easier. It was not to have mercy on the, cruci the crucified. See, the, the soldiers, they, they don't want to fight anybody nailing them to the cross. So they gave Jesus this concoction to better handle him physically. But as we all know, Jesus doesn't need a narcotic to finish what he started. Jesus is going to remain perfectly obedient to the Father's will without any of the, uh, the world's mind-numbing substances. Verse 24, Then they crucified him, divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. So once again, this is all we get from our gospel writer regarding the actual act of crucifixion. Mark's original readers, they knew what verse 24 means what crucifixion is. You didn't have to explain that to anybody. In fact, it's estimated that Rome had crucified 30,000 people in Israel alone by the time of Christ. After the fall of Jerusalem um, in AD 70, the Romans crucified so many Jewish rebels that they ran short on lumber. So everybody knew what crucifixion was. So let me just say a few things about the act of crucifixion. Most paintings and most movies get this wrong. Um, the nails were anywhere from five to seven inches long. This is a six inch nail here. 
um, it, it's really a, a railroad spike. So um, these nails, they went through the, peop- through the crucified's wrist, not the hand. The reason, for, the reason for that is there's no way that your hand would be able to support your own weight as you're l- constantly leaning forward and pulling yourself up to breathe. So this is very, very similar. I, I want to pass this around. I want you to feel the weight of it. I want you to just kind of see it as I, as I talk about these things uh, today. Jesus' feet, they were nailed to the cross with a single spike. Once Jesus was nailed to the cross, the cross was then slowly raised until it was vertical. Uh, The the bottom of the cross then dropped into the deep hole. Um, Obviously a very violent thud. It would would just send excruciating pain through Jesus' body. And here's the thing, even though the wounds from the nails, they they caused obviously severe agony. They were not intended to be fatal. The normal cause of crucifixion was by suffocation. Uh, So the way that the body was positioned on the cross, it, it just, it made it impossible for the crucified to breathe. Jesus's knees, they were, they were bent just enough so he could push himself up to breathe And obviously, when he would do that, he would put all of his weight on that nail, which was excruciating. Verse 24 says, Then they divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. So it was customary for the execution squad to take the victim's clothing. Uh, We see more irony here. Uh, Remember the woman with the hemorrhage? She thought to herself, you know, if I, could, if I could just get into the middle of that mob and all those people, and if I can just touch the fringe of his robe, I will be healed. And she was. In the transfiguration, Jesus' clothes, they became so white and so pure and so radiant that no human launderer could ever achieve that. And now we've got the Roman pagans, the Roman soldiers, they're gambling for those same clothes. So they stripped Jesus naked. He is completely naked on the cross, and he is fulfilling scripture. Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. the psalmist writes, they divided my garments among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. It's just amazing how scripture tells us every detail that would happen before it happened. Verse 25, Mark Mark says this, he says, it was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. That's significant. The crucifixion took place on a Friday. We uh, we call that Good Friday now. Mark specifically mentions the the exact time, nine o'clock. Why is that? Well, at nine o'clock, the first day of the Passover, what the chief priests would do is they would offer up a special Passover sacrifice. And this event is probably where Simon the Cyrene was was heading before he was uh, divinely disrupted by carrying Jesus' cross. So just picture the scene, right? We've We've got the priest, we've got the high priest, we've got all these religious people sacrificing this very special sacrifice at the temple. They've been doing this year after year, decade after decade, right? 
And it just so happens at the, at the same exact time that the Lamb of God was offered up as God's sacrifice as well. Wow, what a coincidence. Verse 26, the inscription of the charge written against him was this. This is why he died. This is why they killed him. He's the king of the Jews. A Roman officer would typically walk in front of the condemned carrying a wooden placard that stated his crime. Now, you may remember that the Jewish leaders, they, they, they wanted this placard changed. And we pick up this story in, in the Gospel of John, John 19, 21. So the chief priest, the elders, the scribes, they go to Pontius Pilate and they say, hey, 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 don't write the king of the Jews, but that he said he was the king of the Jews. <laughs> and Pilate goes, no, what I've written, I've written. In other words, tough. You guys are a bunch of knuckleheads. You, you, you blackmailed me into doing all this stuff. I'm not changing anything. And it's just so amazing because Pilate wants to give one last insult to those Jews. And by doing so, he actually proclaims Jesus' true identity to the entire world. Amazing. Verse 27 so they crucified two criminals with Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. You know, Jesus had spent his entire ministry with sinners. And it seems fitting that the father would ordain Jesus to die between two sinners. Verse 28, the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Now, that statement in verse 28 is not in the earliest manuscripts of Mark. So it's not, most likely, not part of Mark's gospel, causing many tra English translations to be in brackets, like you see here in the NASB. Or in the, if you've got the CSB, it's a footnote. Um, basically, what, what's happening here, this is a, a verse from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12. So it doesn't, it doesn't impact the scriptures or the authenticity of scripture or the infallibility of God's word. Uh, nonetheless, it is scripture from the Old Testament. Verse 29, those who pass by, so the people are walking by Jesus now, and they're yelling insults at him, shaking their heads. And they're saying, <laughs> Really? Oh, you're the guy. You're the guy that would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Hmm. So Jesus endures more mockery as he, he slowly suffers. Golgotha was near uh, the, a main road to Jerusalem. Uh, so the city gates are now open. This is Passover morning. There's a lot of traffic flowing to and from. And as people walk by, they read the placard. And they start shaking their heads. They start wagging their heads. In the Old Testament, this is a gesture of scorn and ridicule. We see it in 2 Kings, Psalm 109, Lamentations 2. To shake the head, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to believe. I do not agree with you. And once again, more Old Testament prophecy is fulfilled in Psalm 22, 7. Everyone who sees me, Jesus, everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and they shake their heads. 
Verse 30, they continue here. They say, save yourself by coming down from the cross. So these random people, they're just walking by and, and they're just spewing this garbage from their mouth. What they're really doing is they're tempting Jesus. This is yet another temptation for Jesus not to fulfill his mission. Satan tempted Jesus to bypass his suffering. It's very similar in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? To avoid this cup of suffering. So key point number one for us. As a Christian, your life must also be filled with times of suffering. Key point number one, as a Christian, your life must also be filled with times of suffering. Please, 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 please. Do not believe these YouTube preachers that are saying that you are out of God's will or that God is mad at you because you're suffering. Dear friends, that is a lie. That is a lie. This is not your best life now. Your best life now is to come for eternity. This is as bad as it gets if you're a child of God. So the crowd is, is, they're walking by and they're saying these things because in the crowd's mind, how is it possible that Jesus could heal so many people and cast out demons and yet not have that same power to save himself? It doesn't make any sense. They falsely believe that if his power has left him, then the source of that power, well, it just can't be from God. So in other words, Jesus, you're up there because you're a liar, and the whole three years, this is just one big magic trick. This is just one big hoax. Verse 31, in the same way. In the same way, the chief priest and the scribes were mocking him. This, the, the chief priest and the scribes, so all the religious people now, they're, see the text? They're among themselves. They're among themselves. Then they're saying, you know, yeah, he saved others, but he can't save himself. So the first taunt was by lay people, the second by these religious leaders. And these religious leaders, they're in, they're in their, their unholy huddles, right? And they're talking amongst themselves and they're just yucking it up. And they're, they're spewing out just the first thing that comes to mind. And they're pointing and they're laughing at him. And so in other words, they're saying, you know, Jesus, because you can't save yourself, you really, did, you really did not save anyone else either. Key point number two. It's because Jesus refused to save himself that he's able to save sinners. It's because Jesus refused to save himself that he's able to save others. See, Jesus can't do both at the, at the same time. He either saves himself or he saves humanity. If Jesus is to make atonement, if, if Jesus is to unite God and mankind, um, he must use his power to sacrifice himself and appear to be utterly helpless. And by the way, Jesus doesn't need a savior. He is the savior. And all of this, all this physical torture, all the emotional trauma here, is the price for Jesus to free us from that sin. That's the price for him to be the Messiah and the Savior. 
See, sac- it's sacrifice, right? Sacrifice is the heart of all salvation. For us to live, we must first die. He was the first one to do that. So the religious leaders, they're still talking here in verse 32. They say, let the Messiah, let the King of Israel come down now from the cross. Because if you do that, then we'll see you do that and then we'll believe. And then even those who were crucified with him taunted him. The religious people, this is amazing. They still think they're in control. They say, Jesus, you need to come down now. They're still telling Jesus what to do. Have you ever noticed that religious people falsely believe that they have the inside track with God because they pick and choose the commands which they're going to follow? And not only that, but if you're not following those things, their rules, their way, they're going to use scripture to beat you down. No, 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 no. We use Scripture to lift people up. Scripture is grace. It is, it is hope. It is freedom. It is life. And by the way, that Galatian study that I mentioned uh, before is a picture, is a wonderful picture of that. It's of the freedom that we now have in Christ. Um, key point number three. You're going to love this one. Run away from religious people. Run away from religious people. I'm not kidding. Guys, run as fast as you can. What do I mean by that? Religious people are the people that insist that you have to follow their rules to earn God's favor. And dear friends, that is a heavy burden no one can sustain. Nobody. Jesus said what? He said, my burden is... It's easy. It's light. Grace is light. Dear friends, we have to run to the cross and we have to run away from religious people. Their burden, that burden that they place on you is a death sentence. Verse 32, even those crucified with him taunted him. So the third set of of mocking and scorn here, this is This is weird. This is stranger than fiction. You you can't write this. You can't make this up. So we don't don't know that the two thieves that were crucified, right? We don't know their names. We'll just call them Cheech and Chong. And they're nearly dead on the cross, and they're hurling these, these insults at Jesus. Mark gets our attention again by focusing not on the physical pain, but on the mockery. He shows us at this moment just how alone Jesus is at this moment. Jesus has no one. He's been abandoned by everyone. And the Gospel of Luke finishes this story. Luke 23, 39. One of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Hey, 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 save yourself. Oh, and by the way, you can save us too. But the other one rebuked him. He said, hey, man, don't you, don't you even fear God? Who's he referring to? Jesus. Don't you even fear God since you're undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things that we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he, he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, uh, 
remember me when you come into your kingdom. <laughs> so pause. This guy just got saved. He just got saved. And by the way, religious people hate that. They hate that. They, the religious people hate the fact that one moment, this guy is blas- he's a blaspheming thief insulting the one true living God, and the next moment he believes. Just like that. Dear friends, that's called grace. Now he's a child of God. You're going to meet him in heaven someday very soon. That's going to be a fun conversation. I've got some questions for him. It's called grace. No works needed. The only work is believing. No baptism to get saved. No Lord's Supper. He didn't even pray the sinner's prayer. Oh my gosh, how did that happen? And he's in heaven. He didn't even go through a membership class. Somebody better call the elders around here. He did exactly as Scripture states. He confessed he's a sinner. He believed that Jesus is the Son of God. Dear friends, that's John 3.16. And then Jesus, what did Jesus say? He said, no, no, you need to be baptized. You need to take Lord's Supper. No, 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 no. He said, truly, truly, like amen. I tell you today, this is a good day for you, friend. Today, you're going to be with me, God Almighty, in paradise. That's a good day. So let's not forget that Jesus did the same for you. If you're a child of God this morning. Remember when James and John, they brought their mommy to ask them if they could be at Jesus's left and right in Jesus's kingdom. Y'all remember that? How did Jesus respond to that request? Mark chapter 10, verse 38, he says, you guys are clueless. You don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink from, from the cup that I'm, uh, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism that I'm to be baptized with? So cup and baptism, those are synonyms for suffering. Can you guys do this? What'd they say? Uh-huh. We can do it. Really? They're not even there. They're MIA. See, dear friends, the way to the kingdom of God is the way of the cross. And next Sunday, we're going to discuss the final three hours of Jesus's life on the cross. The final three hours is where God the Father shows up. And wow, is it amazing. I want to end today by going back to key point number two. It's because Jesus refused to save himself that he is able to save others. I mentioned that Jesus couldn't do both at the same time. Jesus had to be slain as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world first. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So let me read that again. The father made Jesus who did not know sin 
to be the sin offering for us so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Notice the order there. A sacrifice must first be made. And I bring this up because I find it so interesting as we, as we went through the experiencing God, those of you at Sunday mornings still going through experiencing God, the, the Bible study with, with Henry Blackaby, that we learn this, that we can't, we can't walk with Jesus and stay where we are at the same time. You can't do both at the same time. Jesus can't save himself and save sinners at the same time. And as I was thinking and praying through this, it's, you know, it's, it's the same thing corporately as the church as well. We can't play church and be the church at the same time. So all that to ask you this, are you expecting Simon of Cyrene to show up in your, your life this week? Are you ready for a divine disruption that will change another person's eternal destiny? Man, I hope you are. I pray that you join God in that conversation. Amen? Amen. All right, if you'd please stand, let me pray for you, give you today's benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all this week. Amen and amen.